Alrighty. NBM Podcast, we're here again. Like, twice in one week, bro. Like, is this seriously happening right now? Something's going wrong. <laughs> um, for those of you that know what that song on song is, of course, it's uh, Godsmack. I kind of played it for a, a, a few, I'm not going to say a majority, but a few that had the great opportunity to attend the Psycho Nitro Blast last weekend and have the audacity to complain about the way it was ran. You went to the biggest RC race in history to date, and you're complaining about the way they ran with 900-plus entries. You are insane and apparently never happy about nothing. You know what I mean? If 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 you and I, Mike, you know, went to something like that, we'd probably, you know, complain to our like each other of how long things were taking. But at the grand scheme of it, we'd be like, wait a minute. Like, look at how big this event is. Like, no wonder why it takes forever to get through it. We know what it's like when we go to a race that has 150 entries and it takes 14 hours to get through it. Never mind 900. You know what I mean? With that many classes. Because they had, like, sportsmen. They had, like, 40-plus. They had uh, open. They had, um, you know what I mean? Like, they had tons of classes. So, and like I said, 900-plus entries. Well, it's probably safe to say that RC's reaching a peak again. And its popularity, I guess, would be the the way to describe it right yeah yeah absolutely people aren't used to seeing these many people all in one place and you know it's hard to gauge you know are 300 people going to show up or is 5,000 people going to show up right yeah and that's yeah i like i know i know it's been getting busier like you know what i mean like it, it it has grown every year but like i said it's just it's incredible i couldn't believe how many entries and i know at one point, and they took a lot of flack for it, they said they were only going to run, like, I think two heats and then mains or something like that. And that started a big uproar, and everybody was up in arms, like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and it's, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, like you can't win for losing, I guess. You know what I mean? No, you can't please everybody. That, that's true. So, to say the least, um, it went off. Uh, the, the Techno Boys did pretty good at it. All those results are available for you at Live RC, which brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk about before we get into today's guest, which will be Randy Pike from Tekken. So stay tuned if you want to hear that. Um, but the Live RC, like I know it's been like this for a little while, but it's the first time that I've really thought to talk about it. And the fact that the new website, like it's not like it used to be. Like if you haven't been to Live RC to check out any of the live racing stuff in say the last six months, you might not realize they've changed it drastically as to the way it used to work. It's far more user friendly in my opinion. Um, I enjoy it a lot more. Um, I guess Mike discovered it even before I did because there was a big race going on and he said there was like a little link where you could click on try the beta. So Mike's seen how it how it, it was, is uh, on the, when the worlds were out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, I didn't even look. I didn't even. Yeah. But it's really nice. I'm pretty um, sure. Those of you that have used Live Time in the past or been to a track that has Live Time now, and you've seen kind of how it, uh, like, you know, behind, like, if you're looking at one of the screens, if they have second screen set up around the, the track, and you've seen how it tracks it, that is actually available to you now on the page for the track that you're racing at. So as the race is going on, it's showing you everybody's. St- it's yeah. It's. It's awesome. Um, so congrats to the guys at Live RC for making things way, way better than they used to be. 
because, yeah, they're it's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, just that's all I can say. It's awesome. Like, what else? What, what else can I say about it? It's just it makes life so easy. Swallow a little deeper. Yeah. Well, hey, whatever. <laughs> you know, I should have said something after going to the Gone Banana Race down in um, Wisconsin. Because I, I brought my little convertible uh, tablet slash laptop there, and I just took the keyboard off of it and kind of put it up on its side, like vertically. And the page layout mm-hmm. is awesome for it because I was able to scroll it up enough that I could watch the live feed of the racetrack that was behind me so I didn't have to turn around. And I could see what race they were on and as it went through. So it's uh, if you have one of those, like, yeah, you need to bring it with you. It's kind of cool how that works. But I think that's about all I got. I think we should maybe take a quick break, get Randy and... Let's talk about Gen 3 ESEs and other fun stuff. Sound good? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really got anything. Yeah, I know. Well, it's not like us to be doing this. It's more like this because we're trying to get back into the interviews. I've gotten a lot of comments from people that are on my personal Facebook uh, who said they've enjoyed the episode. Uh, I know I was talking to our good friend Ron, and apparently he's telling me he he brought in or picked up 100 likes since the episode got put out. So that's cool. I don't say we're completely responsible for all 100, but I want to say we're responsible just for... Yeah, exactly. You know, that was that one guy that just seen his friend <laughs> liked it and went over and liked it. So, okay, Which we're going technically gonna... is because of us still, so... Okay, sure. So, yeah, okay, we'll take the credit for it, sure. That works. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we're going to get, right? We're going to get messages like, listen to you guys all full of yourself and stuff. We're just, <sighs> we're just starting with being we're full not. of ourselves, I promise. <laughs> We're going to get one of these. We're going to get this right here, Matt. Oh, boy. Get that crap out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're getting too good with that. Okay, cool. We're going to take a break. Uh, We're going to get Randy Pike on with us, and we're going to talk Teakin. I know we've done it before, but we're going to do it again because there's new stuff out, and things have changed for Randy. He's not, uh, he doesn't own the track anymore. So let's, uh, Oh, yeah, I know, right? So let's take a break, and we'll come back with Randy. How's that sound? Sound good? Okay. Okay, cool. Gone Banana Racing Skins, foam tires for any application from speed run, custom builds, 10th scale, 8th scale, X-Max, drag racing, you name it, Rick will wrap it. If you have something in mind, reach out to him on Facebook at Gone Banana Racing Skins and have a chat with him about your project that you have in mind. Rick is a great guy with a great business, and he's willing to help you get the foam tires that you need in order to make your race program the best that it can be. That's why at Gone Banana Racing Skins, they strive to give the best to their customers that they can. Gone Banana Racing Skins, doing custom foam tires that others just won't do. Wow, I don't even know what happened to the audio there. Welcome back. We're okay. back from our break. I heard music. Yeah. Oh, I know you heard. Feed. I'm rocking out. 
Well, normally it's so loud. Mike and I are like, holy, what just happened? And now I couldn't turn it up loud enough. I'm like, what the f- <laughs> Okay, well, uh, from blowing out everybody's eardrums on the last episode to making it barely audible on this one, I'm a winner. Look at me go. So, as you guys may have heard him, that is the one and only Randy Pike, team manager for Teakin, uh, ex-track owner, which we'll talk about briefly, and, of course... Just a general great RC dude. If you guys haven't checked out his web page that he has, uh, what is it again, Randy? Randy Pike RC? RC.com. Oh, look at that. I was almost there. I wasn't sure if it had like blog in there or something like that. But um, Randy puts a ton of great tips up there. I actually, uh, I don't remember where I was, but I actually read his whole breakdown. If you guys want to know how or... Um, a good way of doing, say, your race reports for your teams that sponsor you. Just read through one of Randy's like weekend recaps from when he goes racing and try to do what he does because it was awesome. I, I don't like you got to obviously have a way with words. Like I've read a lot of your other articles and stuff that you've written about and your tips and stuff like that. Like you're not new to doing it, but it it is a nice read. It is nice to sit down and read something like that from another racer as opposed to, well, I raced at so-and-so and and I got this and then I did that and then I broke this and then I won this one and then I bumped from that one to this one. Like you had a whole story to it. So it was like, I was there for the weekend with you. It was really nice. Cool. Yeah. That's kind of the point. I mean, basically I've, I've read lots of race reports, obviously being in my position and it's one of those things where some guys are good at it. Some guys aren't, and that's fine. I mean, they're, they're team drivers, not necessarily English majors or, they're not writing books and stuff like that. But I also know what I get engaged with, what I want to hear, what I want to read, what I want to know. And so I just try to to take that information and make that happen when we do race reports, either for Tekin or do my own personal race reports, because you want to feel like you were there, right? If you didn't get a chance to go to the event, do you, you know, how was that event? Was it fun? Was it just straight work? I mean, it's, it's something to, to learn. I've been to plenty of races like nationals. Nationals are rarely super fun. The track can be fun. The racing can be fun, but it's, it's work mode. Everyone in that race is there for a reason where like the April fool's race is, don't get me wrong. There's obviously a goal. Everyone wants to win, but it's way more relaxed. And that race in specific, I've been going to that race since the mid nineties. Uh, I've missed the past couple of years because it always was a right around a trade show. So I couldn't travel to, to the race and the trade show at the same time. But um, I got to go back to it this year and, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's, the track's at a different facility, but the dirt's what I remember it to be. And the same group of guys that I've been racing since the 90s, we're still racing now, you know, which is cool because I haven't seen those guys in a while. And so that that made it to be like a, a, a pretty good good race for us to travel to and have fun at. So it was good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's, that's what I kind of gathered from it because you kind of touched on all that. And that's, yeah, I just, I had to say something about it. If you guys haven't checked it out, you need to immediately make sure you follow randy on facebook so you get the quicker links to it or just check out his webpage in general he puts a ton of great tips up there um and you can't go wrong with it which starts to kind of lead me down the path into the next portion of why we have randy on there's two reasons one we want to talk about the new hardware that's out and the new software that's out for the teak and stuff Um, But we're very happy to announce that the NBM podcast is now going to be having a segment that is sponsored by Tekin. Mike and I are still kind of working on a name for it. I haven't figured out what we're going to call it. But to start off, we're going to start going through 
um, some of the stuff. And this is going to be kind of the first segment that's sponsored by Tekin, which we're going to talk to the man who knows the most about it, about the new RX-8 Gen 3 and the new software. Uh, Mike and I will kind of start going from there with telling everybody our take on how we use um, <clears throat> software for the ESCs for our racing applications, what we found doesn't work and does work. Um, we'll be able to kind of be a little bit more in depth about it than, you know, just re- asking, you know, a random question or shooting Randy a question on Facebook and asking him, um, because, you know, it's, I've gotten lots of tips from Randy before, but until you go out and start messing with them and, you know, change it by this many or that many, you don't really get an idea of what it does. So we're going to try and help everybody get there faster without having to figure it out for themselves. Cause you know what I mean? It's RC. Why not help everybody? So we want to say thank you to Randy and Tekin for giving us this opportunity to work with you guys. Um, it's an honor, and Mike and I would have never thought in a million years that we'd be sitting here a little over two years after starting this that we're working with some some of the bigger companies, some of the biggest companies in RC, and doing this podcast. It's thank you very much, Randy. We want to say that. So you guys are most welcome. It's always fun, you know, talking to you guys. Yeah, and we're Canadian. So, Matt. <clears throat> What's up, Mike? Hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Now, Before we've got, we we've got Canadian talk. drivers. Oop. I always like talking to them. We have a couple of guys called the Salvis Brothers, Eric and Steve Salvis, and uh, they're on the Quebec side of Canada. Oh, boy. So their accent's <laughs> pretty French. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's always fun to talk to those guys. Actually, I'll put them on speakerphone sometime, and my wife, like, you know, they've, they've all met before at Snowbirds, and they have a good old laugh because it's, <laughs> it's obviously a different type of, of uh, conversation. It's pretty funny, though. Yeah, absolutely. But they enjoy it. What's up, Mike? Um, going back to the race report thing quickly. Yes. Just because I was cruising randypikerc.com. If you go to uh, go there, and on the opening page, there's a nice little, I don't know, most popular if Mike's talking, I can't top, hear him, just so you know. Oh, really? Top right-hand corner. I can't I hear Mike. Say, that's probably why he was walking all over me. So I'm not trying to be rude. I just don't hear anything. Okay, just give me 30 oh. seconds. We're going to do this live. Um interesting. He's trying to fix it. So I'll just keep talking. He's got this how to race reports. Can you hear him now, Randy? Right-hand corner. Randy, can you hear me? Nope. Okay, keep talking, Mike. <laughs> I got to figure out where you're coming in so I can get you over to him. Hello, Randy? Randy. Hang on. Hello? I got to open up like three different things live on the show. So oh just boy. actually, hang on before we get into it, because you can re-say it then when we're talking to Randy, what you guys don't understand oh, yeah. is Mike and I do this on the regular. This is a fairly regular occurrence. However, this is why we never start the show on time and we're normally late calling our guests because nothing ever works. So I come out on, you need to come out on mine, which is virtual audio Virtual out B2. <laughs> B2's over there. Somebody's scratching. Yeah, it was me. Can you hear it? So that's where you come out. And Randy hears from... No, <laughs> that's where he hears from. Oh, for frig's sakes. What if I do... Dang it. I'm confused. What about now? Say something? Well, I don't know. Randy, can you hear me? Try now. Nope. Hello, Randy. Oh, wait. I know what the problem is. Randy. Oh, boy. I needed to click on this one. <laughs> I'm assuming you can hear that that music, right? I feel like I'm in an elevator. Yep. 
Okay, that's now that's exactly what it is. Elevator music. <laughs> hey, I figured it out for myself. Nor- norm now to give everybody a little bit more insight into how Mike normally has to VPN or team view into my computer and click on a million buttons till he figures it out. But I did it on my own. I'm proud of myself for now. What was that? So yeah, what that I was saying, Randy. Round of applause. Yeah. He... Yay. <laughs> oh, I don't have my soundboard up. Where is it? Terrible. You were just playing music. No, that was from YouTube. That was elevator oh. music. <laughs> awesome. Oh, it's still playing. Okay, there it is. Okay, so what did you... Okay, so you were saying that you're on Randy... Holy play- shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Duke Nukem for you. Okay, so you were yeah. saying you were um, on the RandyPikeRC.com yeah, so- webpage. Yes, I was on the RandyPikeRC.com page while you were talking about race reports. And if you go to randypikerc.com, you scroll down just a little bit under most popular tips. There's a nice little book that says race reports on it. And you can read all about how to make a race report. Eat your heart out, folks. Eat your heart out. That was self-serving. Trust me. Uh, send pictures and I like this. I see a bunch of be some uh, da da da. Then there's a big full of poop with an exclamation mark. I can only imagine. Sounds interesting. Have to read this in depth. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to point people to that because we were talking about it. Well, it was a half-sided conversation because Randy couldn't hear me. Yeah. I apologize. Hey, Mike. Though. Yeah. <laughs> the good news is you didn't miss much because he hadn't said much up until that point. Well, that's okay. No, he's too busy cruising his website. <laughs> so, where do you want to start, Mike? Do you want to start with the software part of it or the new hardware part of it? And be- better yet, actually, well, I would think. Okay, that well, from 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 our previous conversation with Randy was that usually what happens is the software exceeds what the hardware can do. Is that correct, Randy? Yeah, in or general. I mean, hardware? basically, anytime you're. Yeah, you're right. I mean, anytime you're working with specific sets of hardware components, there are always going to be times where the software is going to not work optimally with the hardware. So it's kind of like a cell phone. Like I was actually joking with my wife about this the other day about getting new phones because I have a Galaxy 6S Edge. I'm I'm an Android guy, so I run Galaxy phones most of the time, and I'm on the 6. And I know that the you know, new uh, OS is out for Android, the Marshmallow or whatever, and it's got some cool features. And I was like, I don't even know if this is going to go to my phone because it's a couple years old now, and that's usually when they don't do it anymore. You know, you get to a, you know, a certain point where the hardware won't support the operating system performance-wise, and so they don't do it. And it's funny because my note dated the other day. But you, you do nice. get to that point where just the, the optimal performance is almost – how do I say this? It's just not as good as it could be with the better hardware because a lot of times some of the software is actually calibrated or written specifically for the components that are on the hardware as far as like the circuit board goes. So you can get to a point where, you know, it'll work, but if you sat like a gen two with say future software, let's call it 275, it'll run 275, but it'll only run it at 80% of the performance a gen three would run it. You kind of don't want to do that. Right. Cause like it, it won't be as good as it should be. And so that's usually when you make the decision to change out hardware. Okay, that makes sense. Makes sense. So I'm going to ask something before we even get into everything else, because you mentioned that you're an Android user, and, and you know, obviously there's yep. tons of people that are going to be listening that are iPhone users. 
I myself have recently converted, but I'm not so silly as to completely get rid of my Android. <laughs> because I know that the... You're so scared. <laughs> well, no. Listen, for the most part, there's some things that my iPhone does that my Android never did. Now, maybe it's because my Android was an S6, but I only went to an iPhone 6S. I didn't go to the 7. So there's some things that it yep. does that I find that are really nifty, and then there's some stuff that I can't stand. But my Android was the same. I There was stuff that it did that was cool, and there was stuff that it does that I hated. So I'm curious to ask, because I believe it was last May you guys were teasing iPhone use for people. What happened? Is it still being worked on or? I have it. I actually just got done doing the last test software run. Let me rephrase that. I'm not doing test software. I just got done doing the production software app test yesterday. It took me about four hours to kind of go through and just make sure everything's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, on a production Bluetooth 3.0 hotwire. So um, the team will actually get those next week. Uh, right now, the team's going to be invited to the what's called Test Flight app, which is where you get you know beta apps for Apple. Right. Um, and so they'll be able to download the app, and barring them them having any issues with installing it, binding with the hotwire, you know, etc., um, it'll go public probably shortly after that. I mean, really. I don't expect to find any problems. The app is really, really polished. Um, a couple of months ago, actually, when I saw the iPhone app, I was actually pretty jealous because it looked cleaner than the Android app. So we actually had them go back and um, do the Android app to make it look as clean as the iPhone app. Um, there are obviously different things where the, like, for example, on Android, you can use the volume buttons to do minor changes in the Hotwire app, and you are not really able to do that with Apple. Right. At least that's the way that they've got it set up at the moment. So there are obviously slight differences, but um, the app is pretty sweet. I mean, honestly, you just literally pull the car up with the hot wire in it once it's bound, connect to the hot wire, make a change, hit the apply button, and then the drive button, and then you drive off with the car. It's zero contact. Um, and it, right now, everything's in production. We're supposed to have units uh, in-house already. I think they're waking, waiting for stickers. Uh, right now before they get packaged and then they should be ready to rock and ship out team will get them next week oh buddy so it's it's a slick unit i mean the cool part about it is um and why we really took our time with this unit is it obviously still does bluetooth which is you know we're looking for ble bluetooth so for those that don't know uh, ble bluetooth started a bluetooth 4.0 so like if you're trying to use an old and like an old uh, iphone 3 it won't work you need to have an iphone 4 or newer which let's be honest that's still a six or seven year old phone so yeah. we're probably good there um but if you're going to use a tablet or an ipad just make sure that you're on bluetooth 4.0 or newer which again i believe started after the ipad 2 so we're still talking about like just not the oldest of the hardware so that's what you need to really look for um i mean that's that's android back to i think s3 had 4.0 i'd have to go back and look at an old phone but uh, either way, as long as you're on BLE Hotwire, which is Bluetooth 4.0 or newer, the the and the the Hotwire 3.0 will work. And so what's cool is it's the same exact size. The only thing that's been changed it has an additional button on the front of it. So now you have a binding button. Um, you can bind it to multiple devices. You can bind up to ten Hotwires to one app or one device. Totally. Um, and it still works as a traditional Hotwire with a cable. Like on so the PC for whatever stuff. reason, if your Bluetooth stops working or something's going goofy, yeah, or an Android, for example. So if you already have the Android cable for your Android phone or tablet, 
you want to use a Bluetooth, you can, but for whatever reason, if the Bluetooth doesn't stop, you know, just stops not working or there's too much going on or the connectivity is not as good as it could be because of interference or whatever else the problem is, you can still use the cable part of it. Oh, so right it's, it's, not like, it's not like some of the other manufacturers where they say, well, it only does Wi-Fi or it only does Bluetooth this way. This It does it all. So it's the 2.0 upgraded with Bluetooth. So it does PC. It'll do Bluetooth. It'll work on the and you know the Android stuff. It'll obviously work on Apple uh, mobile devices and stuff like that. So one of the biggest questions we get is, will it work on like Apple PC uh, or Apple you know MacBooks and all that stuff? And right now the answer is not at the moment, but um, they're working on seeing the viability of it because literally we have our group of of app guys writing in three different platforms, which is impressive. I mean, that's, and it's, you know, I wish I could say we've got 20 guys working on it, but we don't. Um, And the guys that we do have working on it are phenomenal. I mean, I mean, really those guys deserve a high five because I, I mean, I've watched them do this stuff and I would kill somebody. Forget it. No way. It's just not worth it. (laughs) I just tell people, no, (laughs) we're not going to use the button, but um, it's slick. I mean, it really is cool. I mean, just to grab, be able to grab it, pull it out of the box, hook it up to a car, you literally power up the car, open up the app, bind the hot wire for the first time, it takes like three seconds, and you're off and running. And, and you're it. done. There's no huh. picking a password, there's no doing anything like this, and because it's Bluetooth, you don't have to keep going back to it. There's no accidentally hooking up to someone else's you know, um, hot wire, which yes. is something we I've seen personally at the, at the races, even at Snowbirds, the guys were accidentally changing each other's speedo settings because their app was grabbing any mobile device or any mobile connectivity device that they had and it was grabbing each other's stuff it was pretty funny <laughs> felt bad for a little bit but like it was funny and the, the worst part is is the people would have saved that if they would have just read the instructions which no one does right and so they would have solved a lot of hassle just changing the name of something but they didn't and so you got like six guys you know, messing with each other's speedo settings, thinking it's their own speedo. I'm like, oh, my stuff sold Jack. Well, yeah, because you just changed Jerry's. And Jerry just changed John's, and John's just changed Jimmy's, and everyone's all screwed up now. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was funny, but, but yeah. Um, See, that sounds like a really but, good time. It was awesome time for me because I didn't have to deal with it. Um, <laughs> the people that were they were just, you know, pretty much at their wits end, but what do you do? I mean, that's the funny thing about it is it's, we always joke about manuals. I'm like, I, don't even, I wouldn't even print them. Stop printing the manuals. We, we're wasting paper. No one reads them, you know, put it on a CD or something, but it's terrible. I mean, it, it's, it's the nice thing about Bluetooth is everyone's so accustomed to working with it. Oh, there's a button. Oh, it's probably the bind button. Okay. Turn it on, hold the button down. Oh, the blue light's flashing. Cool. Grab the thing, bind it and you're done. I mean, I, I don't, you know, have an instruction manual for the car, or the Bluetooth hotwire, I just start picking it up and messing with it like most people will, and it works. That's the cool part. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I'm so glad Hello. that I I never upgraded to the 2.0 hotwire, that my 1.0 has always worked for me. Why? Well, because now I have an excuse to upgrade because the 3.0 has Bluetooth. Yep. <laughs> well, because you and I both know, as soon as we knew about the Android-based app when it was in beta... We went on Amazon and ordered, or it was eBay, one of them. We ordered like six of those USB host controller connectors. Yep. And and, and guess how many we have left? Two. You have one and I have one. <laughs> exactly out of the six we bought. I, I know I'm pretty sure I gave away two. I'm pretty sure I gave away yeah, two. Yeah. One oh. completely failed on me, and it went in the garbage, because after I realized that it was the controller failing 
anyway, yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. Because you have the 2.0, which is nice because so, it'll work on its own. Because the host yeah, controller got built constantly. into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay, so here's oh. another question. <laughs> so it was worth the um, year wait, because I was wrong. It was actually March of last year. There was a teaser photo on the TK. So it's been worth yeah. the year, guys. Trust me. <laughs> Yeah, we, I think we kind of officially dropped that stuff at the IIC race last October, um, and we had working units on the iPhones and stuff like that that we had at the place, and guys were able to take it around for a test drive and kind of kick it around. I had a 12-scale car set up with all that stuff uh, in it, and um, the, the biggest thing was, obviously, we knew an iOS change was coming, um, which I don't, I'm not super in tune with Apple stuff, guys, so forgive me, but uh, that was a big security change, and obviously that, that stifles a new app a little bit because we already had pre-approval on the previous iOS, but when they changed to whatever iOS they're on now, 10 or whatever that is, um, they, because we don't already have the app in the app store existing, you have to basically start over. So you have to go resubmit the app. And then once we get past that, which we are now, um, it's a lot easier for us to work with because then we can just push updates and it's not so bad, um, you know, to, to deal with that. Yeah, totally makes yeah, sense. And I think something tedious. tells me the Leafs just lost in overtime. <laughs> well, because I heard the reaction from upstairs. Sorry. Yeah, I just heard your wife say, for F's sakes. Oh, you heard that? <laughs> wow, moving my yeah. moving my station to sit in really was a bad idea. Uh, apparently. Yeah, Washington just won. Son of a bitch. So, okay. So, Randy, <laughs> another thing that I noticed, too, was... You guys, and don't quote me on the version numbers, but you guys were on whatever it was, 250 Vegas for like ever. Then there was a new software version that came out, and then just recently another new one came out. Was that just like a, a you guys were kind of tweaking the software or? Um, okay, so it depends on how do I go about that saying that. So Vegas software is always something we've kind of picked up uh, since IIC a long ways back when when. Uh, boosting and everything are still around so we have always just kind of kept that that name that kind of goes with it so it's always vegas you know 255 or 258 and just because of the affinity which is kind of what started the software wars that we refer to it as um 255 was more of an update towards um rsx rs gen 2 rs gen 2 spec and somewhat the rx8 gen 2 and what that gave everybody was access to break and drive frequencies as well as our new torque control so we got rid of uh, current limiter, if you guys remember that setting. Um, and we've changed yes. the way we, we handle, I guess, softening the speed controller power level, if that makes sense. Uh, push control, not push control. Uh, current limiter was cool and it worked, but it was kind of based off of, of some other criteria, time and RPM and voltage and some things where there was a lot of calculations being done and that made things react slowly versus torque control is more of an active thing that's occurring. So like when you have torque control set at 10, it's off. I mean, that's there's no torque control. But if you start dropping it down to 9 and 8 and 7, you can tell right away. And every step is quite noticeable as far as what it does to the car. But what it doesn't do is actually mess your lap times up, I guess. Where For me, current limiter always felt like once you got down to where it was soft and it, it was helpful to control wheel spin, you lost the the snap and the rip to do jumps, you know, to, to, to control the car's attitude because it was always active. It was always waiting on other inputs versus torque control right. is more of an immediate 
throttle response, yet you don't tend to feel it elsewhere on the track, if that makes some sense. Yep. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. I like the new software. And then... I, I do. So, the, so the, was that the change from 250 to 255 or right into 258 as well? No, from 250 to 255, the, the brake drive and torque control, you know, those were the biggest changes. Um, from 255 yeah. to 258, that was more of a compilation update. And so what I mean by that is um, there's minor bug fixes. There's, you know, cleaned up code. Um, the, the, the biggest thing that we were going to for 258 was reliability for everybody. Um, there's obviously some okay. stuff that affects like the, the mobile app and, and whatnot, but the one thing we learned early on was with, with the way the batteries are going nowadays and, and the longevity of people running, you know, it used to run for eight to 10 minutes and you stop. Now guys run 15, 20 minutes because they can, you know, the batteries are lasting longer. The, the power is going to be there longer. So there were some things that we were able to do to increase the durability of the controllers with software, just being a little bit tighter on some of the control systems and making sure that we're watching the temperatures a little bit more to make sure we don't make adjustments to the drive settings and stuff like that, where before that wasn't such a major concern because they were limited to how much time they could run the thing because of the battery. You know, now before when eight scale electric, for example, we were worried about making 10 minutes. Now I can go 15. You know, I have enough battery to go 15 minutes on an eight scale, which is ridiculous. It wasn't heard of three or four years ago. Um, you know, and that's one of those things where the other thing too is grip is starting to come up. Um, you know, more AstroTurf tracks, more slick tracks, more super high grip tracks. And so being able to control the, the speed controller and the, the systems involved with making the drive a little bit better is, was a big part of 258. So you should see things that maybe like, you know, with thermal or actually fail, not fail anymore. And a lot of that's just because of the extra control that we were able to do with the software update. And then that kind of leads us into our next thing, which is the uh, RX-8 Gen 3. Um, clearly, the software was probably more planned around that. Is that safe to say? or That's safe to say, yeah. I mean, the, I was testing this software on a Gen 2 that was modified to bring it up to Gen 3 component. Um, so I, I was, t I've, we've been testing this thing for six, seven months now. Even the team guys have been testing them in gen twos. Um, they just, they look like gen twos, but they're gen threes inside. Um, even the solder posts don't match up for a gen three. That's how you can tell that they're not what they are. But, um, again, making adjustments with the hardware to take advantage of all the new stuff coming out again, battery power, milliamp hours, the other thing, too, has been the BEC circuit. The BEC circuit on the Gen 3 is much stouter than the Gen 2, which is actually saying something. I mean, the Gen the Gen 2 BEC was no joke. That was a high-voltage 7-amp BEC. Um, right. Whereas we're up to 8 amps now with the Gen 3, and it's stronger than the Gen 2 period, not just on amp rating, but just durability. Uh, the servos now that are coming out you know, from some of these brands are, you know, they, they're nuts. They don't have to worry about, power consumption again because batteries have changed you know your receiver pack in your nitro car used to be 12 1300 milliamp hours now they're 3000 2500 so the the servo companies can kind of let it hang out and you can see them doing that because they have specs that are just ungodly for torque and speed and stuff that we would never have two years ago and they've got it now and it's it's normal because they can take advantage of the extra power and so we have to account for that with a speed controller bec as well 
So what would be the biggest change from the Gen 2 to the Gen 3? Um, from a hardware point of view. I'd say the BEC is probably a big change. Um, there's also been some additional caps added inside the speed controller. Uh, Gen 2s and Gen 1s had three caps. We're up to five. Um, and again, that's just to handle the you know what's going on with batteries. Um, that's a big deal. I, I mean, I can't stress that enough. Obviously, the solder post got updated. Um, the solder post design on the Gen 1 and Gen 2 was great, but what we did find was... A lot of guys would use a, a low wattage iron or a high wattage iron with a small tip. And because that post is is gold plated, it, it accepts heat really quickly and that heat wicked right down to the circuit boards. So if that iron tip was held on too long to float the solder and get the good joint, unfortunately, a lot of times they would even flow the joint on the post to the circuit board or even go further and start floating components down later on the power board. And that might not show up as an immediate failure, but it would show up as a failure later because now that solder joint wasn't as good as it should have been or it was fatigued because of the extra heat. And that's obviously something that we tried to prevent. So we came out with the new solder post on the Gen 3, and it's a lot – I don't know if you've got a chance to solder on one yet, but it's a lot nicer. It's got a natural cup to it, so you can pull the solder down at the bottom of the post with, you know, by pre-taining it. And then it naturally wants to wick up the walls of the, the remaining part of the cup. And so when you tend the wire, tend the post, and then put them together, it takes about half the time it used to, which is not – it's just impressive. I mean, really, it's preventing the heat from transferring down to the power board and doing potential damage. And we saw a lot of that on Gen 2, a lot. I mean, we, I can't say it accounted for half the failures, but it was, it was a lot just because – Soldering's kind of become a lost art in RC. A lot of stuff's plug and play or really minimal to soldering. Um, and because of that, they don't have the equipment like where, where like old guys like me are accustomed to having. I, I had a Haku Iron 936. It was required. We used to hardwire the batteries and the motors, and that was normal. We didn't use connectors. Um, nowadays, everyone uses a Dean's or an EC3 or you know, any connector of their choosing, and they don't do soldering at the track. You know, they do it at home, and once they're done, they forget about it. And if you're using that, you know, subpar equipment and you great, you might get a great looking solder joint at the post and the wire. But if that tip stays on that post for more than four or five seconds, you're potentially floating stuff down the line that you don't even get to see. It's inside. And so hmm. the solder post design was a big improvement. I mean, we, it was done on purpose, not just for aesthetics or, or, or anything like that. It was literally making it easier to solder onto. So um, you can still do the, the wires vertical. You can still do them horizontal. And they're just easier to solder on, period. Yeah. So when, when somebody <laughs> sends something in, <laughs> nah, no kidding. When somebody <laughs> sends something in, do you guys look at it and say, I mean, obviously you do this, but like kind of what's the process when somebody sends something in, there's something wrong with it, they say it won't turn on. So do you kind of, <laughs> is that what you do is you start looking at, okay, exactly why did this fail you know and then you kind of fall and you're like oh yeah look this thing hit 200 degrees and half the components were floating in solder yeah i mean and the make uh, changes really based good. on that right yeah to a point i mean we, we've got a really good service and tech department um you know jeremy potter's our cs manager he'd be another fun guy to talk to on a podcast um and kind of get his input on that stuff but really we can do we can tell a lot on these controllers barring them literally being exploded or you know unaccessible to gain access to the microcontroller if we can plug into it and and hit, get it into our system we can see 
how much time the, the controller has on it, like as far as hours go. Um, we can see the highest voltage. We can see the highest temperature. We can see a lot of parameters that aren't necessarily like a tattletale function, but it, it gives us an idea, a snapshot, if you will, of what this thing's seen in its lifetime. Uh, we've seen RX-8s with hundreds of hours of operation on them. We've seen RX-8s with two hours. And, you know, it just depends. We get a build date. We know what software is in it. You know, all these parameters that kind of help us figure out what's going on. Because let's be honest, we don't want that controller in our service department any more than the customer does. If we have it, that means it's not on the track. You know, it's not in the, that person's car. They're not enjoying that product. And so a lot of times it'll lead us to ask the, the customer some questions. You know, hey, we saw this thing got really hot, you know, or this thing saw like way too much voltage. What were you doing with it? Because that's funny. A lot of these controllers actually sometimes are not using cars. We've got guys using these things in, you know, camera operations as far as like, you know, cabling. These guys are putting these on a cable camera system. So they're using it like motocross events. Uh, we've got seen these guys using these in underwater ROVs. We've got guys using these things in targeting systems that I can't talk about. It's kind of <laughs> funny to see what these guys are using. No joke. Because our controllers offer some of the features that others don't. Like, for example, the targeting guy loves the fact that he goes from forward to immediate reverse. There's no delay. There's no stoppage of power. And so, you know, it, we don't do it. We're able to handle the current and, and just pass it right back to him. And so that's one of the things that he likes our controller over some of the other ones that he's tried. Mm -hmm. uh, they're finding their way into a lot of robotics right now, especially the battle bots, just because of how much power they can handle. I mean, no joke. Jim will probably yell at me for this later. We <laughs> passed 1,000 amps through an RX Jake Gen 3. 1,000 amps. And it just... At what a thousand. Voltage? I think it was twelve volts. I, I'd have to. I'd have to go back and ask that question. But it was an RC oh like middle of the road voltage. This controller should see. So I think it was right around like a four cell lipo, so twelve to fourteen volts. Um, but that's still stupid. A thousand amps. I mean, that's it. Just sat there and and handled it. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. So when you hear about stuff what going bad, wire were you using? <laughs> uh, like ten. I want to just no, go back to this. Like like really. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean that's, holy you Christ! Think about this. You could arc well, you with like, that thing. Well, you should be able to start a car with a battery. Like if you look at a a, a four cell one hundred C RC car battery, right? That thing should be able to deliver, yeah. according to the math, four or five hundred amps. Now, granted, it should be for yeah. a short period of time, but I know that I can go hop outside and fire up my Dodge pickup truck with sixty amps. So, do I have jumper yep. cables in my box? Yeah, I, as long as I can hook it up and fire it up, <laughs> I can jump start a car with a RC car battery. Sure. <laughs> You know, and that's, yep. you know, think five millimeter connector, some 12 gauge wire, some alligator clips. Yeah, let it happen. You know, why not? Well, but, I, I think we're seeing that in, in the automotive industry to begin with, because you're seeing people that are buying these jump starters that are literally the yep. size of your hand that have jumper key leads on it that are jump starting cars. 100% yep. correct. And that's what's inside is a lithium battery. So, yeah, no joke. It's there. Um, but with the RX-8 Gen 3, there are some case changes. Wow. Um, again, we use a polycarbonate um, composite material for our cases. I know a lot of guys are like, why isn't it aluminum? It's 210 bucks or whatever. And it's like, well, first off, one is weight. You don't want weight in your, in your race car. You want as a little amount of weight as you can get in your RC car. The next thing is, is we don't need to have the whole Speedo encased in aluminum because obviously aluminum is a conductive material, even if it's anodized. And the less amount of conductive material we want in that car, the better. It's also allowing some things to move. Allowing the fan to flex ever so slightly on that fan shroud allows it to last longer. 
if it's secure, hard mounted to something, it's not going to last very long, especially in an eight scale car <clears throat> where we're doing 60 foot gap jumps like it's like a nitro blast. A 60 foot <laughs> jump. I mean, that's insane. I don't know if you guys caught any. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and then you got guys like Ryan Les doing quadruple backflips with a techno monster truck powered with an RX 8. And flat landing. You know, and it lands. What was that? And flat landing. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's my favorite. Trust me. But it's one of those things where you're just like, yeah, it, it's it's mass. It's connecting connectivity. It's it's a lot of things. But the, the heat sink on the RX 8 is so efficient. It's so well designed that most of the time you don't need to use the fan to begin with. Now, a class like four wheel drive short course where the amp draws twice as much as an eight scale buggy because it's half the voltage. And we've gone over that before in previous podcasts where yep. that's the worst load in RC for days. But like Adam Drake, Adam doesn't run a fan ever on his car. He didn't run it at Psycho Nitro. He doesn't run it at Silver State. He doesn't run it in, in the Alabama shootout where it's 90 degrees and 90% humidity. He just doesn't need the fan. If you ever go look at his car installs, there's no fan. He runs a wire through the fan trap just to make it look cool and clean. I mean, mm. it, it doesn't need it. So to keep the whole thing in aluminum just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. I mean, there's no reason to do it. Um, it also doesn't – it allows you to change cases. We'll obviously have a black case come out for the RX-8 Gen 3. Um, and we've just, we've, we've thought about doing other colors down the road, but really for us, it makes more sense because go ahead. Can can I ask a question or a favor with the new cases? Can you guys have those holes pre tapped? The mounting holes? Yeah, because I totally destroyed screws because man, they're so like, I replaced the case on my RX-8 Gen 2 and... Mm -hmm. Thank God I had the old screws from the original case because I destroyed a set, like, getting them in there. You're talking about the four screws that hold the halves together. Yeah. Not the mounting screws. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, it'd probably be pretty hard to pre-tap them, but I will I will tell you a trick. Okay. Take the screw yep. and get it warmed up. So oh. warm it up either with a soldering iron or a lighter, right? Mm. And then when you go to put it in there... Make sure you're using a very good number zero Phillips screwdriver. And when that screw is warmed up, it'll cut threads like butter. No joke. Didn't even think of that. You're smart. Other guys use like chapstick. You can use a little bit of grease, uh, but I've had way more luck warming it up. Um, Even um, letting the case be warm. If you happen to set it on like around some heat source of some kind, let's let it warm up. They seem to be really bad when they're cold, and mm. that's because of the polycarbonate, you know, composite material. It's very, very stiff. Um, but warm screws. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that that is a tiny screw, and yeah. not really meant for multiple surface use. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to replace them. If I'm working on a speedo at, at at a race for somebody, I usually take the screws out and chuck them. I don't I don't try to reuse them again. Yeah, <laughs> bad. It's it's bad day. Okay. <laughs> well, now see, I got a tip. Perfect. Yeah, I'm sure Mike heard yeah. about that. I, I'm sure I told you about that, right, Mike? Oh, I was there when you were doing it. You were swearing like a trucker. Oh, yeah, we were on the phone together when I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Poor guy. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh, it was bad. And when you're born with dicker fingers, it's even more hard. <laughs> I'd, I'd be lying to you if I hadn't been there. But, yeah, I mean, the warming up the screws helps a lot, be it, believe it or not. Well, now I know. Huh. Look at that. The biggest thing is the screwdriver, all, all joking aside, get yourself a good Weehaw or um, actually the Dynamite. 
uh, number zero screw Phillips screwdriver is actually what I use. Um, they're cheap. They're like six bucks for that screwdriver and it works pretty well. <laughs> I, I replace it every, maybe every couple of years. The tip finally wears out. Cause I like on Yokum, I run Yokum cars. There's a couple Phillips screws on the car for like, um, on the B max three four, there's the, the pinion, uh, gear inside the gearboxes has a Phillips screw on it. It says like a goofy size. It's like a 2.3 mil screw. Oh, wow. And the, the retaining screw for the hinge pins is also Phillips. So I always have that a number zero laying around. Yeah, okay. All right. Hmm. Free plug for dynamite right there. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so so is the okay. Gen 3 any bigger than the Gen 2? Sorry, man. No, footprint's identical. Okay. Footprint's okay. identical. They're just some case changes. Um, if, if you've got kind of a Gen 3 in front of you, um, there's some slight tapering here and there where the solder posts are. Um, it's a little bit beefed up around the fan. There's a new... Um, uh, I guess our three dot logo is what we would refer to that as is now built into the fan shroud. So if you, if you're on Tekin's website, you can check that out. Um, our, uh, cross brace look has gotten kind of pilfered by a couple other manufacturers. So we've taken our new three dot logo and kind of started incorporating it into everything. So you're going to start seeing that pop up a lot now on the speed controllers. It's sharp. I'm looking at it right now on the website. What I love is that three dot logo matches the shirt that I won last year at Casey's race. The same little three dots yep. on it. Yeah. I thought that was yep, pretty that's kind of our. Yeah, it's kind of like what we refer to as our Nike swoosh. You're going to start seeing that thing get branded on, on pretty much everything that we're moving forward on. Um, you know, it's on the website. It's on the new logo. Um, you're going to start seeing that pop up on a lot of new things that we're coming out with. Hmm. So, okay. I, like I, I know this, you, you're probably expecting this question. Um, and I know a lot of the one cell drag racers are, are anxious to know, and I believe Jim was telling Tim that it was kind of waiting on new software before that hardware could come out. Are we going to see new Correct. software yet again coming soon? Now you're asking about the RS Pro Gen 2 yes. speed controller, basically? Yes. It's the 1S unit and the 2S unit? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, right now that testing is ongoing. It basically is on function with the 258 software. So basically that software that Jim was referring to is pretty much done. I think they've got to do some work on... Um, the BEC options for that controller, but I think they've got it licked right now and they're just waiting to get the board ran and uh, that kind of stuff done so oh, uh, they can make sure everything's good to go. I know there was a small uh, change to the case that had to happen, so hopefully those units are sooner than later. That was a an interesting project to work with. I mean, RS Pro, it's funny, that that speaking controller still fetches top dollar on you know eBay or oh, other RC tech. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's funny though, but if you think about that controller, that that controller I believe is nine years old, nine. Yep, and it's still considered in certain markets a top of the line must-have controller. Drag racing is one of them. Mm -hmm. Some of the the oval racer guys they swear by that controller, and I can explain it pretty easy. Um, it has to do with how many FETs it has. I mean, the original RS Pro had forty-eight FETs. That's more FETs than anybody put in a controller ever in RC racing. Holy. Um, and to this day, some guys swear by it. It just, it doesn't ever have issues. It runs cool. And for the drag race guys, those guys do some silly stuff. And I mean, silly, like mm. funny. Um, it's amazing how much amps those guys will drop in two seconds. Yeah. I've seen a data log from a three cell battery that was sitting at 12.6 volts dropped to 2.6 volts. in I think it was 40 milliseconds, something, something silly. I yeah. mean, that's, that's a dead short. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and which again is why 
you look at the RX-8 Gen 3 and we're joking about a thousand amps. I mean, that's it. Yeah, it might happen. Well, that's, that's, that's it. And, and, you know, that's one thing, and I know I've said it before, but you know, I have to say my hat's off to you because when that whole drive started by those guys down in California that were in search of the ultimate one cell ESC, you know, you were one of the only people that was really willing to even entertain it. And, you know, you had a lot of questions because you really wanted to understand where they were coming from and why it had to be on one cell and, and why not two cell on. And I have to give you, the utmost credit because without somebody like you being receptive to those guys and, and wanting to work with them, we wouldn't be, you know, on the cusp of having probably in my opinion, going to be the best ESC for one cell pro stock drag racing, especially if it ha- if it's anything like the original RS pro, which they're awesome. I've, I ran one a little while ago when I blew up my RS gen two for a race. And it's amazing. Cause like you said, it's an older ESC. It was, it's a, little, a lot older than the gen twos. And I didn't oh, yeah. feel any performance difference between the RS Gen 2 and, the, and that one. No, and that's kind of the funny thing. It sounds like you're referring to the RCDL guys. Yes, the RCDRL guys. Yep. Yeah, so I, we, we obviously met some of those guys at a trade show. Uh, we know Tim Smith pretty well. And they kind of did the same thing the on-road guys did for 12-scale, which was they just figured, okay, we'll just cut the battery in half, and, and that should be better. And that came from back in the, the really good old days where everything was six cells and they dropped 12 scale down to four cell because it got too fast. And so that mentality of just dropping voltage down is kind of an old thing. And so the frustrating part though, and, and, and even though it's logical and some guys were willing to accept it and others not, is that lower voltage is bad. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, you don't do that in a Tesla. If, if low voltage was bad, you'd see a Tesla running a two volt or three volt battery. Yeah, There's right. a reason why they're running 500 volt batteries and it's yeah. because it's simple it's ohm's law if i have you know a, that's why you know four wheel short course is horrible compared to an eight scale car they're similar in weight they're similar in speed but the eight scale buggy runs 14 volts yeah. versus 7.2 volts or four volts on a short course truck so it's the short course truck even though it's a smaller motor it has twice the amp draw and so when you go to a drag race where you're taking these one cell batteries that you know charged are what four four volts, and they're dropping that thing sub two volts. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that start happening there, and that's where the problems start coming from. Is that microcontrollers need voltage to run, right? Microprocessors, computers, they need yeah. power. And so, could you imagine throwing a bunch of ripple current at your PC at home? You know, what's <laughs> oh, that? It's gonna be like negative ghost rider. We're just gonna reboot. Yeah, <laughs> blue screen. That's what we're not. Doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Blue screen of death. It's just going to turn off. It's going to beep at you. It's just going to tell you no. And it's if it's it one of those things where enough, it, it'll blow stuff too. Exactly, and and that's where we started having issues. Was guys were starting to do damage to like RSXs. The RSX is a fantastic controller. It's one of our flagship race speedos, and they were starting to break them. And I we would start asking, "What are you guys doing with this thing?" Because I see the <laughs> RPMs on this data log that. You know, it starts out at 4.4 volts. You check the 1S checkbox, but it goes from 4 volts to nothing. And anytime it does that, that tells us that you're drag racing because the controller just shut off. Yeah. The controller's like, well, you know, done. Turned off, lights out, time to go to bed. And I, so I quit. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, it, you know, so they started using receiver packs. But the problem is, is that 
it's such a huge load that even the receiver pack gets hit under this thing. Yeah. Because yeah. now the is asking for voltage or the radio system's asking for voltage and this voltage is basically so low that stuff starts turning off. Speedo, servo, radio system, something's gonna shut off. And and so we tried to talk to those guys a little bit and try to suggest going to a two cell or going to a lifey pack, something with more voltage, while explaining to them that right now you guys are running one cells and like two and a half turn motors. The KV would be identical with a two cell and a six five, for example. The car speed will be identical. In theory, the gearing should be even the same, but you're going to have a controller that's much happier. You're going to have batteries that don't puff now because that's the other thing that we've, we've heard. They puff batteries on it like a daily basis. It's normal. And that makes sense because you're taking that vol the voltage of that battery down below a safe level. I mean, LiPo batteries don't like to be left at full charge and they don't like to be left at full discharge. You know, I, if, if I've got some experience with a Tesla car. So if you have a Tesla, for example, it recommends that you never charge the battery past 80% capacity. Well, why is that? Well, because they know that if you keep charging it up all the way, it's not going to last as long. So in RC, though, we don't we do not do that. I mean, we, we, we charge the battery up to full, and then we discharge it down. But in drag racing, they charge it full, and they drop it to zero yeah. in seconds. <laughs> it's not going to be too happy with that. You do it a couple times. So it, uh, it didn't work out as well as I had hoped. Um, I really hope they would have taken more of our suggestions, but they seem to be pretty stuck on it. So um, for us, we either have the option to just turn our backs and walk away, or we can bring back a controller that everyone's been asking for. And it's not just the drag racers. It's the drag racers. It's the oval racers. It's some of the 12-scale pan car guys, world GT car guys, and even some of the hardcore stock racers, because they know that that controller is tough to beat with a stick, period. And so it'll come back out. It'll have a one-cell version and a two-cell version. Uh, it'll be called the RS Pro. There's a nomenclature, which I probably shouldn't mention right now, um, so I won't. But um, it's going to be pretty pimp. I mean, it really is going to be a next-level controller for us. To, to bring back that name is a big deal. I mean, we could have done an RSX2 or something like that, but to bring the RS Pro back into circulation as a next-generation controller is a big deal for us because that literally was one of our best products from the past so that's that's a big deal i can't wait now i gotta ask you one more question about bex because you mentioned it earlier and obviously we were going down a different road and i didn't want to interrupt you but mike and i were talking about this the other day why is it with the tekken escs and i know there's a good explanation for it i know there is is it just six point six volts or 7.4 is is there a specific reason as to why it's only those two options like is it is it difficult to make you know like a in our cases like we run some of the mks's that run 6.6 .6 lifey packs you can run on them yep so we're just kind of curious is there a specific reason as to why there's no availability to you know picking 6.6 .6 as opposed to there's obviously some hardware um depending on w which controller it is. So like, so for example, on RX-8 Gen 3, it's switching BEC. So could we give you 6.6 .6 volts? Yeah, we probably could. Uh, I just don't see many servo manufacturers worried about that kind of voltage. Um, I think they're just more offering the specs, to be honest, because really if they can run a servo at 6 volts and they can run it all the way up to 8.4 volts, it'll obviously work at 6.6 .6 volts, but the specs will be different. And so yeah. a servo is it's essentially a speed controller motor in one box, right? It's not that complicated. So if they're able to work at those voltage levels, the 6.6 .6 thing isn't so much that we need to adjust for that as a BEC. They're just telling you, hey, if you run a lifey receiver pack, here's your speed and, and torque. Okay. Um, 
you know, that's really what for us it comes down to. We found that, like for example, the Gen 3B GBC always comes defaulted at six volts. And the reason why we do that is because not everyone runs a high voltage servo. Now a high voltage servo can easily operate at a lower voltage. It'll just have reduced performance. It won't do damage to it. Yeah. On the flip side, if you throw high voltage at a non-high voltage servo, it'll it'll most likely break it. And so there's obviously some safety concerns there. So you could do six six. We could. It's a switching BEC. We could easily give you that option. Uh, we just generally don't because usually it's one or the other. It's either a high voltage capable servo or it's not. Is that a clean answer? <laughs> okay. No, I, 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 yeah, I totally, you know, <laughs> you know, what's funny is, is the, the brand of servos we run are MKS. And when we got them, Mike right away picked 7.4 volts in, in his ESCs in his cars. And I was having a conversation with Thomas and I said, well, Mike's running his at 7.4. He goes, well, he goes, I wouldn't suggest for him to do that. And I told Mike and Mike's like, okay, fine. I'll put him back to six volts. Cause he obviously didn't want to cook them, but I think he ran it for like what, two races before you switched it. Back? Oh, if not more. Yeah, so I, I see what Randy's saying with that. It, it does make sense, and maybe we'll just do some product testing and see <laughs> if mean, we cook one. In sp- <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, are the they difference in specs. N- no, no, see, they're, they're <clears throat> I don't know where the, the particular line came from, because they, they have the DS line, which is what Mike and I are running, but then they also have their HV line, which is in with within the same um, category, which runs up to, I believe, the 8.4 volts. It's just... I think they haven't been quite updated. Like they have the X six series, which all the eight scale guys and the, the, the super high tier team guys that are, yeah, I'm not going to go down that road. Anyway, you know what I mean? That those guys are running that. Yeah. They're, they're meant, you know, 8.4 volts, this, that, and the other thing we try and run more a cost effective, like servos for the regular club racer. Like we are, you know, we're not going to put $190, eight scale worthy servos in our 10 scale cars. We're just not going to, we're not even going to put the $150 low profile servo in our 10 scale cars. Cause it's just why no. like nobody there's, there's few that spend that kind of money on a steering servo. And, and Randy knows it as well as we do. When you go to a track and you see guys that even race regularly, they want a, the best servo they can get for their money. They don't want to spend a lot. They want to keep it under a hundred bucks, but still have a great servo. So, yeah, they typically want a servo that fits the bill and they can, you know, get use out of it. And one thing I'll tell you, and I'm old school about this as well, is servos are one of those things where you really don't want to keep buying them. You want to buy a servo that you can afford and that you're going to get performance out of for a few years. And so, um, you know, whether it's, you know, your, whatever brand your favorite brand is, there are sometimes benefits depending on the car you run, for example, to run a shorty servo that is quick and torquey and stuff like that. Like I run KO servos, for example. And so I run my, I run the midsize servos or, or shorty servos and my two wheel drive buggies and right now my four wheel drive buggy, but I'm doing it for weight, not necessarily for speed and torque. And so it, there are benefits to having those smaller servos at times, but I do understand what you're saying is not everyone's going to go swinging for the fences on a servo to save 25 grand. You know, it just depends on the driver. So, yeah, and the, but and the other thing six, too, we gotta go ahead. No, go ahead, Randy. No, no, go ahead. Well, I mean, at six point six volts, if, if they're limiting you that, then I would also agree. Don't don't run it at seven point four. It might it might work for a while, but if the circuitry is not rated for that voltage, you possibly will damage that controller. Whether it's the motor drive circuitry or the motor itself. So, you know, I agree. If they're telling you not to do it, I probably wouldn't do it either. I, well, we got to remember is is. Uh, because we're just talking about MKS at the moment, uh, 
they they are they were or are popular with the helicopter plane guys. And I yep. think when they started diving into the car world, they kind of just took what they knew and applied it into the cars. So I think the 6.6 is something where, you know, those guys are running lifey packs for their servos and all this other stuff. And I think that's why, Matt, we've seen the change from those when they've come out with like the X6 and the X8, why you're seeing the 7.4 on those ones because they were designed for the car guys. You know what I mean? Where'd he go? I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you on that. No, 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 no. I had my youngest. Uh, my youngest was down here asking me about a blanket that I have no idea where it is. So sorry about that. But yeah, so I think that's probably just all it is. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, really, you know, we've worked with some of the helicopter guys with some of our speed controller stuff before, and so it, it does change the way things work. So um, yeah. and even our KO servers. When I, I've been running KO for a couple of years now. The original RSX servos were not rated for high voltage, but yet we were told that if we wanted to, we could, but we would probably be having to send them back from time to time because they would start causing failures. But we were allowed to do them until yeah. they got the new ones out, which then were high voltage. So, true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's impressive. I mean, for an under $100 American servo to get 24.3 kgs or 337.5, and, and that's at the 6.6. I mean, that's... I true. mean. You start looking around, it's it's tough to find those kind of numbers under that $100 price range, right? So it's... Yep. And you said you run the KO servos, eh? I run KO servos right now, yeah. Um, obviously, there's some stuff that we're working on uh, with Tekken um, that, that might come out kind of in that way. Um, I'm also uh, the ProTech team manager for ProTech now. That's pretty new. I don't know if you guys are aware of that yet. Um, but Protex oh, no. got some servos in that, in that same price range. It would probably fit the bill as well. And you're right. I mean, I owned yeah. a hobby shop and a racetrack for a while. I, I knew exactly what those guys were looking for most of the time. And and really, it, it comes down to, you know, you, you always get the guy that buys like the $50 servo, and it works, and it probably works really well. But then when they finally start getting to the point where they're starting to look for those extra tents compared to me or other drivers of my caliber – and you start going, okay, yeah, your servo is a point ten transit speed, but why is mine faster? Well, mine's 0.05. You know, you don't necessarily need it, but if you want to try one, hey, I'll, I'll let you try one. And then they come back and go, dude, I got to have one of those. And so there's definitely tiers to servos. There's no doubt about that. And, and a servo, you know, at, you know, 300 ounces and, and, and a decent transit speed, that's still pretty impressive for sub 100 bucks. I mean, really, that, yeah. that's, it's amazing how far the technology has come from now till just six years ago. I mean, the, the, st the yeah. stuff that we have now is just ridiculous. It's unheard of. You know, if you would have told me in the 90s that I would have a servo that's 0.06 and over 100 ounces, I would have laughed at you. It wasn't possible. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. You know, even, even for a so $200 servo, it was impossible. They weren't doing yeah. it. Oh, yeah. So here's another question for you, now that you brought up Dude. the whole ProTech thing. Uh, okay. The high-voltage batteries. What's your yep. opinion on that whole situation? Um, well, I can give you some information. So the high-voltage batteries, whether everyone wants to realize it or not or even accept it or not, they've actually been in circulation now for a year or so. Depends on the company, but they've, they've been out there before they were even labeled high-voltage. Lithium battery technology is obviously one of those things that's just skyrocketing as fast as it goes because it's obviously we're not the only things using it. Cell phones, cars, you name it, there's lithium batteries in it nowadays, laptops, everything, it's all out there. So... 
because of that, everyone's been working on durability, you know, making sure they can get the capacity they need, making sure the voltage sustains. And so it's inevitable that the batteries were going to get better, even with voltage, not just milliamp hour rating, uh, because of the C rating and what we're doing with them. So um, I right now the stance is, I, I personally agree with this, you charge that battery as high as you want, as, as much as you want to do to it, but... If you're at a sanctioned event, you have rules. And if you cross the line with the rule, then you're DQ'd and you're out. And and when I owned my track, we had a 20-amp charge limit. And we didn't tech at club races, but you can tell who's charging up to 8.6 volts versus 8.4 volts. I mean, I can tell. It's worth a tenth right up front. You can tell. You can hear the car sounds different. Um, and it was one of those things where at a club level, I don't care because it's not something I can control. Or let me rephrase that. It's not something I'm willing to control at a club level because it's too much of a pain. But when we had like our Comstock challenge at our racetrack and we were doing tech, it was me and two other guys that would rotate through tech. You could not be over 842. That was it. And if you were at 845, you had to step out of line, rev your, you know, run the motor and get the voltage down to 842 with the car off before you pass tech, before you hit the track. Um, we were at Snowbirds, for example. That's obviously a humongous race with 800 some odd entries in both road and oval. And they were doing tech there. And we had a guy in our Salvis Mud Boss class, of all things, roll up to tech, which is a two-cell class, for those that don't know the car, rolled up to tech and was tech at 878 for voltage. Now, Josh Searle is a, a pretty well-known racer. I'm sure you guys know Josh. And I were standing there because this is our fun class. We get kind of jokey about it, and we do funny memes and stuff like that when we're at the race because it's just a good time. And their track's the slashes, boys. So it's you can only go so fast with this thing. But this guy, from a reputable sponsored company, actually, which is the funny part, rolled through tech at 878, which is unsafe. The worst yeah, part 4. was... 4. Right. The worst that's part solid. was this guy had blown up a battery the day prior in the pits. So you always got to ask yourself, like, what are you doing? You know, Josh and I kind of gave him the business, and uh, he sat there, and they had discharge bulbs in the tech. And I think it was, his battery was on the bulbs for 15 minutes before it was at spec voltage. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to them, it's inevitable. They're already there. Um, whether the companies are claiming high voltage or not, um, they're, they're already out there. Protex had them. I know uh, SMC's got them. Reedy's probably running them already. They've got their zapper packs. And so it, it, as far as my personal opinion, as far as racing goes, there's nothing you can do about it. The batteries are there. Um, I see nothing wrong with charging up to 8.6 and discharging to 8.4, which is what my ProTec charger does. It's got a, a high and low setting, so it'll actually go up to 8.6 and bring it down to 8.4, so I'm legal. But what's nice about that is it actually builds a little bit of temperature in the battery, which is really what we're doing. LiPo batteries don't like to be cold. They like to be run warm. There's a certain temperature, and that's what they like to be done. If you, if you don't believe me, go stick one outside in the cold weather and go run your car. And then go stick one under your armpit for 20 minutes before you run your car. And then go run your car. <laughs> and tell me what faster. No joke. Uh, I could just see <laughs> somebody up on the driver's stand right now. What do you do with that light on your armpit? Well, I race two races from now, so I'm going to warm it up while I'm racing in this race. Well, like the Oval uh, guys, for example, they're allowed to warm their battery. They actually have a LiPo warming sack. They're allowed to warm that battery up. It's legal wow. for them. And it, the thing is, too, is that if you talk to some of the battery manufacturers – Running the battery below voltage and, and not getting some heat into it is actually bad for the battery. Uh, it depends on who you talk to. There's obviously uh, different opinions about it, which, you know, opinions are like, you know, body appendages. Everyone's got one. And so it's one of those things where it, it's it's here. 
and we just need to embrace it. I, I'm all for teching at 842 or 840, depending on the sanctioning body. And that's, that is really all it is. I mean, as far as that goes, we, we've seen less battery failures, less puffing, better long. You know, I've got 350 cycles on one of my original LiPo high voltage batteries. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. For so a well, the battery, reason why I bring this up is, is because like, we got a big race. Yeah, I know what he's about to talk trying about. Trying to do the whole, you can't run your high voltage batteries, and I'm like, well, to hell with you! I can't run my high voltage batteries if I'm only charging them to 8.4 volts. I can run them all day long, and yep, I, I got a feeling that it's going to get to a point where you're not going to be able to get anything but a high voltage pack. And that's what I'm explaining to you. You're not going to be able to right now. The majority yeah. of the batteries that are hitting the race market are high voltage, whether they're labeled that way or they're not. That's just the way it is. That's what we're getting. And, yeah. and it's one of those things where it, we're talking about two tenths of a volt, you know, 8.6 to versus 8.4. The two tenths of a volt, yes, there is an advantage, but charging that battery up to 8.6 and then making sure you pass tech at 8.4, there's no advantage. There's not going to be a difference. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible. So, again, I would encourage race directors and track owners to kind of understand the actual data about it. I mean, it's not, it's not harming anything. If you set a voltage, then set the voltage. You know, like I did at our track, it was 8.44. I didn't want you over it. If you're over it, you, you step out of line, you ran it. At a club race, it, it wasn't a big deal to control it. The only thing I controlled was you had to run a lipo bag and you couldn't charge over 20 amps. And, and the 20 amps thing is more of preventing runaway lipos. Um, you know, as far as causing the battery to kind of take off and light up during a charge, you don't see that very often, but it does happen. Um, and, and also mitigating, you know, circuit issues within the building. If you got 16 guys all charging at 60 amps on one breaker, that's a problem. <laughs> so, you know, you, you definitely don't want to do that. And when we had our race and there was, I can't remember, hundred something entries or whatever, and we had pretty much all the pit spaces full, the only time we had a breaker pop was when a, two guys were trying to use a soldering iron and everyone else was charging at 20 amps. So really it's just, you know, it's just, there's no, there's no benefit to charging any higher than that as far as I'm re in regards to safety. If you mm -hmm. talk to like um, Kyle Layton is a two-wheel drive stock net buggy national championship in off-road racing for Roar, friend of mine. And you talk to him, he doesn't charge it at 60 amps. He doesn't do an 80 amp discharge. He doesn't do any of that stuff to his car. He just charges it. Yeah. You know, he runs a protect yeah. charger. I think he charges it at 12 amps and that's it. Done. And he, he beat everyone handily at the nationals. Yeah. And so... That's what I currently run for yeah. a charger is the ProTech, the the duo one there. I've had it for Six. yeah, over 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 2 years and I, that's I charge everything at 12 amps a full balance every time. Yep. Yeah, and, and the balancing is a big important thing too. I mean, it's not so much to keep the two cells level with each other, but the balancing is a safety thing. And that, there's a lot of misconception about that too. What the balancing thing allows a charger to do is if you've got two cells, look at it two cups of water if you're charging the two cups, if you're filling the two cups of water with one hose, you cannot control where the water goes independently if one fills up faster than the other, which is what LiPo batteries can do. You don't know which one's filling up faster because it's blind. If you have the balance there, you actually get to read the voltage individually on the cells. And so if one gets to 4.2 volts right away and the other one's just chilling at 3.8 and 3.9, it will stop charging the 4.2 cell and only charge the 3.8 until it comes up to level. 
And that's where you get batteries that run away. That's what I mean by that is you'll get a guy who's charging the thing and all the charger wants to see is 8.4 volts. But if one overcharges to, to 4.6 because the other one's going bad, you'll get a failure. You'll get a, you'll usually get a fire out of it. So the balancing is a safety thing, not really performance. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah I, I, I only balance charge. <laughs> I've never, I don't think I've ever charged a battery without using the balance. But that's why I still have two Traxxas packs from when I got them four years well, ago, exactly. and they're still good because I balance charge them every time. I shouldn't say they're still good. They're still usable. <laughs> that. <kind of> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. I mean, if you look at the balance lead on your charger, it's, it's not heavy gauge, right? I mean, let's be honest, it's it's not going to be doing a lot of current handling. So it, it's it's really there for monitoring and letting the charger do its job. Yeah. So it's it's, it's a safety thing. Speaking of your track, moving along. Yeah. Um, you no longer. I know you mentioned it somewhere that you're no longer a track owner, um, which was yep. kind of weird because it wasn't that long ago that you became a track owner. So. If you can, without getting yourself in any kind of hot water, what happened? Why why would you sell a track? Uh, so, quick story. So, basically, I moved up to Reno, Nevada, because my daughter goes to the, the university here, and she wanted us to live a little uh, closer. So, instead of being three hours close, we're now 30 minutes close. Um, and the local track was in some issues. And so, it was there for a couple months, and then they basically abruptly closed it at, at the end of September. Um, I talked to the landlord, the owners, there was two owners involved and try to figure out what the status of it was. I was really hoping someone else would do it because the timing couldn't have been worse for me. We were in the middle of buying a house. Um, hopefully the tax department and my, and my, uh, accountant aren't listening, but basically, um, I ended up, nothing ended up happening. There was a lot of guys, Oh yeah, I'm going to buy it, do this, that, the other thing. And of course that never panned out. Um, so I talked to the landlord and got the owners agree to agree to specific terms and purchase the track um, and assets that, that it belonged to. So we reopened it at the end of October. Uh, we've been up three weeks uh, fixing everything that was wrong, electrical, some other safety issues, you know, um, all the other legal stuff that you got to get done. And it was always intended to be temporary. I basically wanted to turn that business around, make it profitable, and either keep it as an asset and walk away from it like that or sell it. Um, it it took off pretty well. We had some slow season in the summertime, which all indoor tracks do. Um, but we had some big races. We had a lot of fun, and we built up the base a little bit. And I had to ask all my sponsors, which, of course, is obviously including Tekin, which is my full-time job, if they would be willing to let me – um, I guess work less <laughs> would be the best way to say it. Uh, not travel to as many races, not be a competitive racer when I did travel to some of those races. And all my sponsors were pretty supportive of it. Uh, they knew that they would be able to get the same return on investment with me owning that track that they would me traveling. So it worked out for everybody involved, including Tekin. Uh, I got to do a lot of track testing when the track was closed and the track was a high bite, super high bite clay. We ran slick. So the consistency was pretty much perfect. Mm -hmm. So it worked out for everybody, which is why the software updates came as quick as they did. I was able to do a lot of testing whenever I felt like it. Um, but it was obviously a lot of work. I mean, we were there, my wife and I ran that place. We were there for 10 to 12 hours a day, every day. Even when we were closed, we had to go to the track to water the track and do some maintenance and clean and do some stuff because I mean, I, I've I've been to lots of tracks. I've been to some great facilities. I've been to some really bad facilities. 
most of which you don't hear about anymore, which is for reasons. Um, and I wanted that track to kind of reflect what I wanted a track to be like. You know, we had the flat screen TVs. We redid the pit area so it was more accessible. We put in grandstands so we could have more people watching it. You know, we went to line of sight internet because the local ISPs couldn't give us the bandwidth we needed. So we went to military grade line of sight and spent some decent money on that to get the bandwidth that we needed. Yeah. Pretty funny. Um, no joke though. Uh, we were beaming it like four miles away to a tower, I think on a hill somewhere, but, um, and all those things that we did, you know, upgraded the computer systems, timing systems, uh, redid the track. I mean, it was just a lot of stuff and, um, you know, hopefully everyone appreciated it, but really, I don't want to say I was getting burned out, but, I mean, I, I have a huge passion for this industry, but working at it for 12 to 16 hours a day for over a year straight, even I, you know, got to the point where I'm like, oh God, you know, my honeydew list was 16 pages long and my house is falling apart and, you know, my cars need, my real cars need work. And my wife bought me a quad, uh, a Honda 450X quad for my 40th birthday. Um, and I got to ride it once, once. <laughs> The, for, for the entire time that we the season was open because we were so busy at the track and so that was one of those things where it's like you know i'm living this i'm doing that but i wasn't enjoying everything as much as i would have liked and so um we decided to shut it down into december and we entertained a couple of offers and one of them eventually worked out so the track is actually still there it's no longer called track time hobbies i think it's called whip it uh whip it rc and so uh everyone still gets to enjoy the track it's different now it's obviously different, you know, for many reasons, one of which is that we're not there um, all, all the time like we used to be. So a lot of guys are kind of bummed out. They don't get to pick my brain as much as they uh, they used to. <laughs> um, so now I get a lot more text messages and a lot more Facebook messages and <laughs> emails and asking questions because really those guys had access to me 24-7. If I was at the track, they could ask me questions, set up questions, electronic questions, you name it, they asked it. And the whole joke used to be the I hated hearing, hey, Randy. That was the biggest phrase I could not stand. I got really sick of that because I knew it was going to be a question. Hey, Randy, what does this do? And what does that do? And hey, my car's spinning out, you know, going into the turn. What can I do? And, you know, it um, it, it was like being at a race for a year straight. You go to Snowbird, you go to IIC, and you have a great time. And you're at that track for 16 hours a day or a Snowbird, which is 20 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You kind of get break. I mean, you can only get asked so many questions. I mean, I'm, I'm not a machine popular to contrary, you know, popular belief. I'm not a robot, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's just exhausting. And, and so some of that takes the fun out of it when you're just constantly mentally exhausted. So um, my wife and I just decided that, um, you know, it was a good time to sell it. It made money. It was profitable for us, but, um, you know, money's not everything. And it was probably a good thing for us to, to just step away from that part of it. So we did. Wow. Well, it makes sense. Can't blame you on that deal. And it's, uh, it's good that obviously the track was able to stay around for all those, those local guys. And, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't do anything small when you do it, do you, Randy? You kind of, man. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, I, I learned a long time ago, um, that you either do things like full on, like if you're going to do something, do it right. Not so much just like the simple term of that, but like, for example, uh, I was a big dude in, in high school. I lifted weights. I played football. And so we got into mountain biking before mountain biking was like a big thing. And so I got like a, I think it was a $500 mountain bike, which was good money for it back in the days. It was like an entry-level Cannondale. And I remember climbing up a hill and snapping the cranks on this bike, literally snapped the cranks off of it because I was, I was lifting weights. So I was, I think I was squatting like a little over 500 pounds at the time. Like I was a big dude. 
not like I was still fat. Don't get me wrong, but like I was strong. Yeah. And I remember just cracking this crank over my shin and being like, "You gotta be kidding me! I gotta walk five miles back to my truck with a snapped off crank on a five hundred dollar Cannondale. Like this is crap." And the the Cannondale rep, like he replaced everything. He was totally cool about it, but he's like, "I've never seen that happen before." But I'm like, "Well, okay, I'm not your average guy." And I learned right there that it's 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 one of those things where if you spend the money, generally speaking. You were getting superior componentry for it. And mountain bikes are one of those analogies where, cool, yeah, if I get a new mountain bike, I'm going to have like XT. But if I want to spend a little bit more, I get XTR. It's that much better. And it's kind of like servos. You know, if I can spend an extra 30 bucks on a servo, it most likely will be that much better. In theory, it should be. You know, batteries are the same way. Motors are the same way. Speedos are the same way. You know, can I get an RS Gen 2 and spend 170 on it? Or could I spend another 40 bucks and get an RSX? And every time I was asked that question, I was all I'd tell you, dude, get an RSX because you'll never have to buy it again. You know, if you get an RS Gen 2, it's great for two-wheel drive buggy. It works awesome in short course truck. But if you ever go to four-wheel drive mod, you're going to want an RSX. Yep. And every time I made that suggestion, they spent the money and bought an RSX because they knew that it would work in everything. And so when it came to doing the track, you know, it, was, it wasn't in horrible shape, but it wasn't where I wanted it to be. It wasn't at the, it wasn't ready for you know pro drivers to show up like Matt Olson and J.R. Mitch and Rudy Rico and and all the guys that came to our first big race. It wasn't ready for those guys. And the worst part was was the local drivers had never had that experience. They've never seen those guys show up. The biggest pro driver they saw, which is unfortunate, was probably me, and like maybe Jason Mosley, who's one of our local team drivers. Mo's like a really well known guy in our region, right. and Mo's awesome. But when we're the big names showing up to that track. It's not really the whole shock and awe, ooh, it's like this guy. You know, we invited J.R. Mitch to, to come out to our race and Jay Concepts and, and help them come out here. And, and all the sponsors kind of kicked in. And, and he was pretty impressed. I mean, he had a hell of a trip getting here uh, all the way from Florida. But him and Matt Olson, th- those guys put on a show. I mean, the, the local guys had never seen, you know, a 10-car main with guys like J.R. Mitch, Matt Olson, Eric Willardson from Utah, Moose from Utah. These guys be nose to tail for six minutes at full mod speed. They'd never seen it before in person. They'd seen it online. They'd seen it on live RC, but they'd never seen it in person. And the guys were just, they, they were just super appreciative. I mean, the, some of those guys didn't race, but they came to watch the mains. And they were like, oh, my God, I, you've told me that this is actually how it goes, but I had no idea. <laughs> and that's, that was like an aha moment for a lot of those guys. I mean, that, that race... It, it took a lot out of me. I think I got four hours of sleep that whole weekend from, from Friday on. <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted everything to be perfect. You know, yeah. everything done. My, my my wife was a huge help with that. You know, she was doing a concession. She was running the hobby shop. I was running around with my head cut off, working with our race director, you know, circling out the guys in tech because some of those guys were racing certain classes. So we had to rotate those guys out. And plus tech's a thankless job and no one wants to sit there for that long doing that because you know, RC racers are always so pleasant in tech. And so we'd rotate those guys out and, and it was just exhausting, but I, I just hope that everyone appreciated it for the way we ran the program. Like first day of qualifying three rounds, we were all done by six 30. I kicked everyone out of the track out. Wow. No, no working on your cars. You could take them home, take them to the hotel, but everyone go home, go have a nice dinner, go have some nightlife, go experience Reno and then come back tomorrow. And we kept on schedule. The track was always try to, you know, in prime condition. We had a water schedule built into the qualifying system. So everyone knew when stuff was happening. Yeah. And I think the biggest complaint that we had all weekend, that there was only so many classes to race. That was the big complaint. They wanted to race more. That was the worst complaint we had. 
So. Right on. Yeah. Wow. Mike, you were going to ask uh, Randy something? You know, it's supposed to be fun. If you go to a big race and you spend, you know, a thousand bucks to get to it and you don't have any fun, you know, they might not come back. And that's not what RC is supposed to be. True. Very true. <laughs> I'm talking too there's much. Go ahead. Ask questions. Are... No, no, <laughs> there's just a lot of things destroying RC, in my opinion. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole um, nother subject, okay. my friend. Different so, podcast. We can do it some other one. time next week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I got time on Wednesday. The, I scheduled on Wednesday. <laughs> what's one of the craziest questions you've ever been asked RC related? Um, pops out in your mind. Like just totally bizarre. Throw somebody under the bus here. Throw somebody out. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's RC related. To keep it RC related, I think probably one of the funniest things that like, completely caught me off guard that left me dumbfounded for for probably a good thirty seconds. Where I had a guy walk up with a wad of cash in his hand and literally offered to buy all my cars and all my equipment at this race I was at on the fly, right there. He managed to figure out who I was, and and basically his kid wanted my cars so bad. The guy offered me, I think it was five grand. I think he offered me five grand for three cars that I was at. And what did you do? So I thought about it. That's what let me dumbfounded. And I'm like, all right, well, I could <laughs> buy all this stuff for like full price and, and start over with brand new cars and like have all this stuff. And there wasn't any prototype stuff in my cars. And I'm like, huh, okay, I could probably profit two grand off this deal right now and, and get it all replaced. But it was just such an odd request. And and to have the cash in hand when he asked it, that's what trip was tripping me. I, I've been offered money for cars before, but never with a wad of cash. I mean, this guy wasn't joking around. He was dead serious. <laughs> dead serious. And I, that I would just, have been a tough one to pass by. I had a hard time. But it, 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 the way I looked at it, to be honest, was it's not my stuff. I didn't pay for pretty much any of it. I You know, they, whether, you know, my sponsors gave it to me or – you know, basically, actually, actually, long story, whether the sponsors gave it to me or not, if I did not pay for that stuff, technically, it's not mine. And, and you know, I'm sure a lot of guys probably would have taken it. Um, and like I said, it left me dumbfounded, but it wasn't mine to give or sell for that matter. So I didn't. But I was appreciative <laughs> of the offer. So it's cool. Wow. Wow. Your, He's your, right. Your sponsors were probably like, why, why, did, why didn't you take it and just give it to us? <laughs> you know, if it's I, I could have made a couple phone calls, yeah. I probably could have made some phone calls and got some authorizations and stuff like that. But it was one of those things no, where, uh, you know, it was just weird. It, it was one of those things. Yeah, just like, no, okay. for real. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That is, yeah. You else? asked for the odd one, Mike, and you got it. That is definitely strange. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, yeah. I wow. wish somebody yep. would come up to me and offer me five grand for my stuff. Well, I, Right? I, yeah. <laughs> and that's American. Oh, man, that's like. 7500 bucks Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, it was like I said it was a oh. weird deal. That was in Texas. In the race in Texas. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like a lot a lot. Like, I wonder if that guy'll ever listen to this and be like, "God damn it." <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no, watch, he listens yeah. to it and he turns around to his buddies and goes, "That was me." Yeah, or or my <laughs> boss talking about listening. Like, "Why did you sell it? You're yeah. stupid." Yeah. Hey, you should have sold it yeah. to him, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> Drinks all around. Yeah. 
Right on. Well, I think going it, going forward, you have the authorization yeah, yeah. to sell all your stuff for a profitable yeah. amount of money. <laughs> That's right. Here's uh, your number. Put that in writing, sir. Yeah. Yep. Send that to my email. <laughs> yep. I'd like a copy of the memo, please. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Nothing like mm-hmm. covering your own butt. Yeah, for sure. For yes. sure. Part of the job. <sighs> so I think at this point. Randy's been with us for about an hour and a half. He's given our listeners a plethora of information. And I guess we'll call that the conclusion of the segment sponsored by Tegan, which we still don't have a name for. We're working on it. Mike and I have come up with a couple of names, but I feel that they're way too lame to even say them. And then I'm sure in the next episode, we'll name them all off and actually give you guys the real one. Who knows? Uh, but of course, I do want to say thank you very, very much, Randy, for coming on. Uh, thank you very much to Tekin for giving the MBM podcast an opportunity to work with you guys and help promote the hobby and the products that you guys provide. We didn't even talk about the RX4 or some of the other hardware, but the good news is we're going to have a segment sponsored by Tekin. This may happen more than once. We're getting to get into it. I've got a brand new SCX10 2 sitting over on my desk in a box still. So it it's going to be a great uh, it'll be a, a great candidate for an RX4 I think so we'll uh, we'll definitely get into that one in the near future because it is uh, an awesome looking ESC and I can't wait to talk to you more about it but like I don't want to take up any more of your time tonight. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I got my wife bugging me to go get dinner right now. So, um, but like a no joke, all, all joking aside, I mean uh, I got time next week. She's out of town, so if you guys want to do something next week and get ahead of the game and get the next show ahead of it. I'm available. Sounds like a plan Wednesday. to me. Is that uh, what you were saying, Randy? Was Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesdays. Cause I got um, some studio time Tuesday and Thursday. I was going to maybe do a Facebook Live video on Thursday. So I kind of have that on the books. But Wednesday would work for me. Um, I can't do Friday because I'm traveling to the OCRC Stock Nationals next week. So I'll be gone uh, first thing Friday morning or Thursday afternoon, excuse me, actually. So Thursday afternoon probably won't work that well, but Wednesday would work for me. We can do that. Yep. Yeah, let's do it. Same time, same bat channel. Sounds about right. Yep. Maybe maybe even a little earlier the next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you got to yeah, get working next to... time. Well, yeah, and I got called into work too, so that didn't help anything. Jobs always get in the way, I understand. Yeah, he sent me that message. He's like, uh, so not only was my computer being a big bag of you-know-what, he's like, I just got called into work. I'm like, well, keep me posted. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. Brutal. Windows Never 10 had, sucks. Figure, go figure, right? The computer computer guy had computer problems. That is pretty funny. <laughs> no, it's not. I can't laugh. So it's like a mechanic. Right now. Apparently my email account got hacked somehow. Still oh. trying to figure that out. But Nice. Somebody, yeah. somebody looking for top secret secrets. It's probably the Russians. Oh, yeah. yeah, blame the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, nope, not touching that one. Not touching that one. Oh boy, oh boy. So we'll call it a show. Lots of stuff going on in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just a little bit. Well, we'll we'll take this opportunity then to call it a show. And of course, thank you very much to Tekin. Thank you very much to CowRC, Gaman Racing Skins. MKS servos, Max Amps, and any, who am I forgetting, Mike? I don't know. I think everybody. I, well, hey, as long as you – normally you catch the ones I miss, so it sounds like we might have gotten them all. Thank you very much to everybody for yeah, listening. I think you got them all. 
And make sure you go over and uh, check Randy Pike out on Facebook as well as his webpage that we talked about, randypikerc.com, because there's a ton of great info on there. And thank you very much for listening to the NBM podcast. We'll uh, say goodbye now. Say bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody.
You don't want to play and dive bar beauty queen? <laughs> Was that what you were listening to when you uh when I come on? No. This is Dive Bar Beauty Queen. Jumping in a Harley, she rides alone. 81 stick of blacked out, no chrome. Mean grip, ape hanger, ready to roam. Born to be a gypsy, long way from home. Shuffle through the iPod, CA3. With a little bit of shine and some DAC. Quick to pull a pistol if you know what I mean. She's a dive bar. Beauty queen, she grew up in the hills driving daddy's old truck. Had that blue nose pit since he was a pup. Flip that zipper, girl, light one up. Back behind the shed where you grew up. Uncle Ronnie wore hats that were red and white. Didn't say too much, but he taught her to fight. She loved to live wrong more than she did right. Devil with the halo, gypsy in the night. I love the way a cigarette hangs down low. I love it when she dances to rock and roll. I'm loving them hips and the ripped up jeans. Just a rock and roll dive bar beauty queen. Huh. I love these guys. They actually got some porn star to be the thing in their music video for this song. Nice. 